Why do I have so many friends? Well, I like people. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Tuesday, December 5th, 2017. I'm Aaron Edwards. Today on the show, Joshua Topolsky joins me to wonder about the death of the internet. Here's the dispatch. The future. Over the weekend, our editor-in-chief, Joshua Topolsky, wrote an essay called The Death of the Internet, where he explored losing touch with what's real and what's not real online and where that line is blurred. And we wanted to chat about that today. Hey, Josh. Hi. So you're, I mean, you're thinking a lot about the internet lately and <laughs> how, it's, how it's dying to you. You think yeah. it's dying. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the internet because I've been, obviously I work on the internet and I look at the internet all day long and... But lately, there are things that have started to come together for me that have felt like bigger and scarier and weirder than anything that has happened before on the internet or to the internet. And it's made me reevaluate those things that I always thought of about the internet, which is like, this is real. These people are real. This is where my life is. And to see how those things are colliding in a way that is actually bad. So let's backtrack a little bit. <laughs> yeah. What was the internet like for you when you were growing up? Like, what was your first exposure to what we consider the internet today? I mean, you know, my earliest exposure were, were BBSs or bulletin board systems, which were pre, kind of pre-internet internets where you would dial into somebody's computer somewhere. You literally would get your f- modem hooked up. You'd put a number in. It would, like, connect and would make the modem noises, which I now I feel like people don't even know really don't even know what they sound like. And then you'd be in like some kind of weird portal that somebody created where it was like you could look at different texts or you could have chats with people or you there were images. You know, my first experience, but my first experience really with the internet was um, I would tell net, tell net was a way of connecting from a Unix command line. You gotta sound so nerdy. Um, <laughs> I would tell net to this thing called V-Rave, virtual rave. This is when I was like 15. This is my really like, I was probably like 15 just getting into techno music, just getting into, um, like, I was, I stayed up all night, so I discovered this world of, like, oh, people are going to parties all night long and, like, dancing to crazy electronic music. So I started, um, my friend, a friend of mine was like, oh, there's this thing called V-Rave where you can talk to ravers all around the world. And it was basically a big chat room. It was like a Slack room, you know? And I ended up becoming friends with people in, like, Perth in Australia. And I would talk to them because they were up. It was the middle of the day for them, and they were, like, at work or whatever. They were adults. And I was like a 15-year-old weird kid in, in Pittsburgh in the middle of the night. So that's like my first experience was like actually a lot of like really close, personal, long-winded talking relationships with people about things that I was enthusiastic and interested in. You know, my first deep human relationships were formed with people who were sometimes thousands of miles away. But it, 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 there was never a question in my mind that like what I did there mattered to them and what they were doing mattered to me. And it was like it was real. How is that different now? I think there's always been a certain kind of thread on the internet of, oh, like this is in real life. Like people say IRL is an IRL is a thing that is born out of the internet in real life. And then whatever happens on the internet. But, but, and I think that people abuse that idea. You know, I think they go like, well, what I say here, what I write in the comment section or what I leave, you know, this message I put in here or what I tweet or what I put on Facebook, it's not real. Like it's a this virtual space that has some kind of d- different rules, but, but it doesn't like it. And, and people, you know, are hurt the same way and people feel love in the same way. And I think what's different now is there's so many more people 
and the, the systems have become so almost mechanical where, where the, the systems through which you connect with people are so mechanical and generic and homogenized that I think it's just given this almost like armor to people to be emboldened, you know? And also I think that it's become a place where it's very easy to fire up outrage and fire up emotion and, and to let yourself become overwhelmed by those feelings of outrage and emotion and to not check yourself like you'd check yourself in a room with people. And it seems to me like platforms like Facebook and Twitter, maybe even Tumblr to some degree, have attempted to democratize the the social engagement online. Like you all go into this gigantic pool of people that has no form. It's just everyone on a couch talking. Yeah. And the spaces that you describe in your childhood are more so these very deliberate, specific areas where folks with similar loves and interests have respect for each other. Yeah. But what do you think actually changed that? What do you think made it worse for people online today? Well, I think, I mean, first off, I think that there are benefits. There are good things about, you know, there's a, there was a, a moment when Twitter to me was actually kind of this joyous thing. Like there was a moment when there, I think there were a lot, there were fewer people on it and, and fewer people had actually figured out how to, how to game it. And that, and that is a big part of what I write about is this, you know, these systems that have been, and I think maybe this gets to your, to your point, you know, these systems aren't about sharing and chatting and connecting, really. They're, in many ways, they're built around this kind of system of rewards and and liking and faving and scoring like a kind of point, you know? And, like, those points also inform how the systems work and disseminate information, right? So, oh, this thing has more points, therefore it is more valuable or therefore it is more likely the, that you need to see it. And, and I think that that, you know, part of that kind of gamification of our social interactions has created some of these problems. But I also think that, you know, I do think part of it also comes back to understanding that your, your actions have consequences and that, and that, and, and knowing that when you dock somebody, that it's not just like fun. It's not just for the lulls. It's not just you're trolling somebody because it's a game on the internet, but it isn't a game on the internet. Those people are real and those repercussions are real. And I think that there's, you know, I think that not having that kind of foundational sort of teaching or literacy about like what the internet is coupled with this kind of gamification and these, these very stratified, homogenized ways of communicating with one another. I think that's, that's caused a lot of the change in the way that we, the way that we think and act towards, towards each other. And there's like all these moments that happen that kind of underscore that tension, like when... Uh, when Obama was elected or, right. you know, when, you know, moonlight wins over La La Land, but we don't think it like these, these moments in culture that kind of force us to put that to the test. Yeah. Um, well, but like, do you think that Trump being elected was a, a big part of changing that for people? Y yeah. Yes. Well, here's the thing about Trump being elected. I mean, I think that the the gamification, the gaming techniques that were a lot of them were employed around his, around like in general, not just Trump, but the entire election of, of 2016 was clearly a, a kind of refinement of how we use the internet to sway people's opinion, to get them distracted, to make them think about things that maybe aren't true. I think he emboldened a lot of people with really bad ideas. I think that the place where our psychology is most on display, like is, is a place like the internet, you know, we are speaking, we are using words. We are not, it's not just videos of people. It's not just in, in, you know, in-person interactions. I think that's a place where those emotions can boil to the surface really quickly. And we don't have time to check those emotions. And it has, and I do think Trump created a, a swirling 
scary sort of uh, new type of interaction on the internet or help to kind of stoke it? I think in this particular moment, at least for me, when everything seems really dark and, and awful, I tend to retreat and recharge in places that I know are special and safe for me. So I, I go to my group chats, I go to my private Facebook groups, I go to my Slack rooms with friends and people who I understand and who speak to me. Um, so how do you do that? How do you survive and how do you save your corner of the internet that you used to love as a kid? I mean, you know, I spend a lot of my downtime looking at like design and architecture and like blogs full of beautiful things. Like one of the things I like to do and I've always liked to do on the internet is discover things and there's still places to do that. And I think actually the answer to a lot of this is that maybe we don't all need to be yelling at each other in an open forum. Like maybe the answer to our problems with like democracy and speech and all of the stuff that we're often fighting about isn't about us yelling in a big room where everybody's watching. Maybe it is actually about us having more small, metered, thoughtful conversations with one another. I think a lot of people, when they view Trump, they sometimes see him as a symptom of this bad internet. Um, but others also see him as a, you know, the, the root cause of, of all these things. Uh, where do you see him falling? I mean, I think it's true that the internet, there was a lot of bad stuff on the internet before Trump. There was, you know, before Trump, Gamergate existed. And before Gamergate, there was something else. And um, I don't think Trump created what, I don't think he created the problem, but I think he magnified it and emboldened the actors who are who are part of that problem in a way that has made it so much more affecting and constant and overwhelming. But when you've got a person like that who's like peddling conspiracy theories, who is also the leader of the free world, with quotes, you know, I think that that changes the temperature of what is happening in a way that is really significant. And that's the that's one of those places where it becomes so much more about that intersection of of the world we live in, internet or not, and the world that we see online every day, which are just so now in lockstep. I am, I, uh, yeah, it's a bummer. I know the piece is a bummer. Like, I didn't have an ending where I was like, but we can do, you know, I used to write, I've written things that's like, there's hope. And now I'm like, ah, is there, like, as long as the people like Trump are in control of this shit, like, and I don't know. Yeah, I think that it's hard to see hope in the internet as we know it now, but... I think that, you know, my, my grandmother is a, a very religious person, and you've met her, actually. I love your grandmother. Uh, and one thing that she really instilled in me as a kid is that the world operates in seasons and that, that there is a season for, for everything. Uh, and that as things get darker or get lighter, you have to adapt where you live. Uh, it's the, the idea mm. of survival, the, the, the concept of how you move through the world as it changes around you. And, you know, I hope that's true. It needs to get really light. Yeah. Well, soon. It, it might not need to, though. I mean, I think that the like I like I mentioned, the spaces of, of refuge are very important in, the, in those times. And, and sometimes true. that becomes the Internet for you. Sometimes that becomes the space that you need and you don't really need to live in the outside world that has been tainted or, you know, covered, sometimes, covered in fallout. Sometimes you just need to move to a farm. Right. <laughs> and upstate and get offline completely. Just delete all their apps. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Keep, I, keep the chat and just get everything else out. I mean, I deleted Twitter. I will say this. I deleted Twitter. But then I found even just putting it in a folder. I obviously reinstalled it because I have a problem. But putting it in a folder, not just seeing the icon, is that has actually changed how much I use it. You're right. Maybe it's just about me. It's about changing me. It is. Yeah, no, it actually is. It's always, uh, it's always an internal 
internal battle. It's a it's the man in the mirror. Yes, definitely. I got to make the change. <laughs> Joshua Topolsky is our editor in chief. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. That's it for The Dispatch today. We're here every Monday through Thursday, so subscribe to hear Adrian Jeffries or myself every morning. Also, it's The Outline's birthday today, so if you've been reading us for a year or if you're new to the podcast or our stories, thank you so much for checking us out. I'm Aaron Edwards. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories.